Kia ora and welcome to this episode of the Amateur Austenite. I'm Frances Duncan, an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand. My co-host is Emma. Hiya. Today we're discussing Chapter 5 of Northanger Abbey. In Chapter 5, Isabella and Catherine remain friends, as do their maternal figures. When it rains, they read together. Austen does a beautiful rant in defense of novels. So I'm glad we got this one together because you really wanted to talk about the novel rant. What comes before the novel rant is a bit of an outline of what the requirements of friendship are. Catherine and Isabella are talking about Mr. Tilney and Isabella's entering into Catherine's feelings that he must have been a charming young man. And she's dropping some hints. She's saying she likes Mr. Tilney the better for being a clergyman for. She must confess herself very partial to the profession and something like a sigh escaped her as she said it. Perhaps Catherine was wrong in not demanding the cause of that gentle emotion. She was not experienced enough in the finesse of love or the duties of friendship to know when delicate raillery was properly called for, or when a confidence should be forced. So one of the duties of friendship is to notice when your friend is dropping hints and say, Oh, tell me more, what do you mean by that gentle sigh? Isabella's dropping hints and Catherine is not picking them up. She's an innocent country girl and Isabella is an experienced young woman who wants to be asked, which clergyman have you got your eye on? When you consider that Isabella is four years older than Catherine, that is actually a lot. Well, and she's been out in the world heading off to the pump room and being introduced to young men for, let's just say, four years. She's not found a husband yet, so things are getting desperate. The other thing that we hear about what's required for friendship is to call each other by your Christian name. Always be arm in arm when you walk. Pin each other's train up for the dance. So quite an intimate kind of office that would usually be done, I guess, by your sister or by your chaperone. So you know each other pretty well to pin each other's train up, I should think. Not to be divided in the set when you make up a set in dancing because it's not like a waltz where it's two people dancing together and twirling around the room completely separate from everyone else you are in country dancers kind of crossing over and sharing partners with the people who are in your set they want to be dancing together it never occurred to me that this means that Catherine and Isabella are at this point going to balls and dancing with different men but we don't hear about any of them as you say Jane Austen doesn't tell us about any of the other men that they dance with but there are some if you're dancing with Catherine you're also dancing with Isabella that sounds like a threesome. <laughs> the calling each other by their Christian name. What is the level of intimacy that this denotes? Like, what needs to have happened, do you think, for this to occur? We have to ask permission for it's offered. Perhaps if we compared it to Catherine and Miss Tony. I'm not entirely sure she doesn't call her Eleanor until she's home again. But, but that's something we can keep an eye on. We can. Interesting comparison between those two relationships. As we meet Miss Tilney later, we'll get to see. But here you can see the rapidity of her relationship with Isabella and how they're best friends. And Isabella's like all over her, whereas it's slower with Miss Tilney, but it's more genuine. Isabella needs someone to escape from her chaperone with and she doesn't want that to be her sister's. 
So I don't think that Isabella has a particular interest in what Catherine's characteristics actually are. She just needs a wing woman. With the added bonus that her brother is quite marriageable. That's true, yes. I had forgotten that, that she already knows James Moreland at this point, doesn't she? Mm. So she's sucking up. All happy coincidences. Oh, her mother just happens to be Mrs. Allen's old schoolfellow. Well, this is not actually real life, Francis. What do you mean it's not real life? It's this way because Jane Austen made it so. No. (laughs) Another sign of your friendship is that even if it's raining and you can't go out on your outdoor activities, you sit together and read novels. Novels. Jane Austen is not going to jump on the bandwagon of putting down other novel writers. She is not approving of that habit and says that if the heroine of one novel be not patronised by the heroine of another, from whom can she expect protection and regard? Let us not desert one another, we are an injured body. What people say when they're busted reading novels, which I am going to say out loud here because... You're going to hear my voice again in chapter 7 and you're going to hear someone actually saying one of these statements. I'm no novel reader. I seldom look into novels. I do not imagine that I often read novels. And then then goes on to the quite famous defence of a novel as being the most thorough knowledge of human nature, the happiest delineation of its varieties, the liveliest diffusions of wit and humour are conveyed to the world in the best chosen language. Which has appeared on many coffee cups. And he compares it to if you were reading something like The Spectator, how proudly you'd produce the book. In some ways, I think it's still a little like this. I don't like people to know when I'm reading romance. I feel a little embarrassed. Or the covers in particular tend to be a bit embarrassing. Read what you enjoy. Reading shouldn't be punishment. This is one of the great successes of e-readers right you can read your romance novel without a cover and nobody knows what you're reading romance novels are the biggest selling genre on e-readers the readers are voracious they will read more than a book a week and the authors are just churning them out some of them um, publishing every month to keep up with the demand so an interesting comment relating to the spectator that it says something about the age that you live in that people looking back on the writing of an age get an idea of what that age was like based on the type of writing that the people could endure is the word that Austin uses here if the writing's particularly turgid it tells you something about the people of that age I wonder if another reason that novels are quite disparaged is because novel reading, particularly at this time, tended to be a woman's thing. Women were writing novels and women were reading novels, whereas the men were doing the important writing. Yeah, she actually says that directly. She compares novels to the 900th abridger of the history of England or of the man who collects and publishes a volume of some dozen lines of Milton Pope and Pryor. So a man who collects the works of men. She's specifically talking about men. And her juvenilia is a history of England that Jane Austen has written by a partial prejudiced and ignorant historian. And then there's a note, there will be very few dates in this history. 
she makes a good point that history should be fun and interesting because it's basically gossip for nerds. Why does not everybody want to know about it? And she talks about the personalities of the people and she's got cute little pictures that Cassandra has drawn. She talks more about, I guess you'd say, the vibes than necessarily the facts. History doesn't have to be boring and Austin was very clearly about that. Reading doesn't have to be boring. You're allowed to enjoy a novel as well. Doesn't make you a bad person. There's a great bit in here about how not to have a conversation to between Mrs. Thorpe and Mrs. Allen. Yes. What they call a conversation, but in which there was scarcely ever any exchange of opinion and not often any resemblance of subject for Mrs. Thorpe talked cheaply of her children and Mrs. Allen of her gowns. Just reminded me of Mr. Elliot in, at the end of Persuasion, what the best company is and just any company and good company, what constitutes a conversation, whether there is any exchange of opinion or a subject. <laughs> it's hammered home again that Mrs. Allen only cares about fashion. She's so happy to be friends with Mrs. Thorpe, particularly because she's not as expensively dressed. And she still has the one-track mind and saying the same thing over and over again instead of, I wish we had acquaintance. It's, how glad I am we have met with Mrs. Thorpe. Everyone knows somebody like Mrs. Allen has a thought and then repeats it again and again. And in fact, there's a term for it. It's called perseveration. They mentioned the pump room book that we talked about earlier, that Mr. Tilney is not in the pump room book. And later we will discover why but it makes him mysterious. And he's referred to as the hero because he's now all mysterious and you can build up this idea of him, which as everybody knows, particularly in the internet age, is never a good idea because you fill in all the blanks yourself with what you'd like them to be. But a masculine mystique? Well, he's definitely not the strong, silent type. He, he does talk. Isabella indulges her in this. And encourages it, which means that Catherine gets really into it. It doesn't weaken on her mind. And I'm like, this is the sort of thing that teenage girls would talk about and do talk about. But does it indicate that Isabella is a bad influence? I don't know. Entering into your friends' enthusiasms is not a bad thing per se. What if Catherine never sees him again? What if it was just one dance? Will she be devastated for the rest of her life at this mystery man? It's not Isabella's responsibility. I mean, true, but also Isabella is the older one, so should know better, although it is Isabella. What was I thinking? How do you think the views on novels have changed? I would say that the attitudes towards novels in Jane Austen's time are the attitudes that people now hold towards genre fiction. It's not literary fiction, darling. Again, I come back to... You should enjoy what you're reading, and some literary fiction is not enjoyable. Therefore, why read it? What's the function of fiction? Entertainment and a window into a world that you wouldn't otherwise have seen. And some of those windows are into worlds that are pretty unpleasant. It's improving for you to see that your way is not the only way. And you can do both of those things at the same time. I mean, you can write about awful things and it still be an enjoyable read. Like you were talking about a book that you were reading and it was quite, I think you used the word grim, but that the writing was so engaging that you were enjoying it despite it being a bit dark. 
Yeah, so that book was Cloud, Cuckoo Land, Grim and Entertaining. It's like a continuum. There are some books that are entertaining but not particularly mind-bending and there are some books that are mind-bending but not particularly entertaining. Romance novels, some of them can be really good and some you're like, my brain is just bleeding out of my ears. What did I just read that was terrible? It doesn't matter what genre it is. If it's written well, it can be a good read but equally any genre can have bad books yes whether it sticks to the rules of its genre i guess that's one of the things about genre fiction is that they have rules yeah i'm not good at following rules so i have difficulty fitting into a genre there's a great book called um the child that books built by francis buford spufford that talks about why genre fiction is popular and as far as I can recall the hypothesis is that there's some comfort in knowing how things are going to turn out that it's not restricting it's actually freeing you don't have to worry about whether there's going to be a happy ending because you know that there will be you don't know how they're going to get there but they will get there and likewise you know that the crime is going to be solved that the hard-bitten detective is not going to find true love, <laughs> nor give up smoking. We'll remain an alcoholic at the end of the book, but possibly move slightly closer towards a better relationship with his estranged children. So I actually experienced this. This week I was reading a book called The Beach Trap, which is a play on the parent trap to girls who meet at summer camp and their sisters and don't know. 15 years later, their dad leaves them a house together. It's a beach house, hence the beach trap. I knew that conflict was coming because there has to be a big conflicty thing before everything gets resolved. And I knew it was coming and I don't enjoy conflict, so it was making me really uncomfortable because I knew we were at that point. But actually, it wasn't that conflicty. Like, bad stuff happened, but there wasn't actually really conflict between the characters. And then they did have the happy ending, but it was almost tied too neatly. So do you think that was successful or unsuccessful? And was it genre fiction? It's a little difficult because there are two main female leads. So you might not define it as a romance. They're having separate romance stories. But it doesn't feel like chiclet or the the more wanky woman's fiction, which is apparently just chiclet but boring. I don't know. I'm not sure what uh-huh. how it's supposed to work. See, these definitions can confuse me. Like, I don't quite get where it's supposed to fit. It was enjoyable. It was a bit lighter than it could have been. There is no story without conflict. Statement. True or untrue. I don't enjoy conflict in books or in life. Or movies. Can you think of any work of fiction that has no conflict in it? I don't know. You've read some stuff I've read and I'm pretty sure it's lacking in conflict. The Very Hungry Caterpillar has conflict. Is that a New Zealand book? No. I don't know where Eric Cow comes from, but it's not New Zealand. I was just wondering if we had to explain it to people. I guess your work has conflict in it. It doesn't have to be interpersonal conflict. It has to be a problem, else there is no story. I just want to read a book where people are happy. Happiness is nice, but it is not readable. Like reality TV shows, right? When they do everything to stir up all the drama, 
everything's all dramatic and stuff and I'm just focusing on the happy couple and I'm like can we just have more of them I just want to see the happy couple go on dates they have a nice life that's about the amount of drama the happy couple also have conflict and problems no they're the happy couple it's not no watch again you will find that the happy couple have had to overcome some obstacles your best romance novel the couple have to overcome obstacles else you do not believe them they have to grow and change else that's the thing that makes your brain bleed and say this was not a good romance novel there's a classic literature meetup group they were going to do a meeting on pride and prejudice one of the people who was going put into some ai thing a question about whether Mr. Darcy and Lizzie would have been happy together. And it spat out this whole thing talking about how that was not the case. They would not be happy because they hadn't resolved conflict. They're two different people. I think that's the difficulty when you have conflict. Can it actually be resolved? Is it actually ever resolved if it's a significant thing? When somebody cheats, they're like, well, we're still together, but things have changed. Is it ever okay again? You need to define happiness. Oh. Would Elizabeth and Darcy have had a satisfying life together is not the same question as would they have been happy. They would have been intermittently happy just like everyone else. This is true because you cannot be happy all the time, which if you watch The Good Place, they literally talk about that people's brains did just stop working because they were just happy all the time. Yeah, you're right. Okay. I concede you need conflict to feel the happy. I don't want to. One of the things that sets us apart from Austen's other novels is she talks to the reader directly a lot. She doesn't so much in her other novels, like you might catch an eye in there somewhere. But this one, she very clearly is like, I will not do this. Let's go and does a whole rant. I cannot approve of it. Yeah, she's talking directly to the reader and you and Jane Austen are together on one side and you are watching Catherine and Isabella and the Tilney's story play out. She's narrating the story to you as you and Jane Austen are sitting together watching the events. That's what it feels like to me. It really does. When they're referring to the how rapidly Isabella and Catherine became friends it reminded me of something from the juvenilia from frederick and alfreda the intimacy between the families of fitzroy drummond and falknor daily increased till at length it grew to such a pitch that they did not scruple to kick one another out of the window on the slightest provocation you get the feeling that she's making fun of that level of intimacy here but in a different way For Catherine, it feels real, but if you're paying attention as the reader, it feels a a little false at how rapid the whole thing is. And maybe if Isabella were also 17, it wouldn't feel as false. And that's our discussion of Chapter 5 of Northanger Abbey by Jane Austen. I'm Frances Duncan. This has been Emma. Thank you for listening, and we wish you happy reading. I can cut it. Don't cut it. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice, heavily Pride-focused merch. 
Kim. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!